You know, there are a lot of popular songs about love. I, I mean, in my own lifetime, you know, I, I can think of All You Need Is Love by the Beatles and Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places by Johnny Lee. And What's love got to do with it, Tina Turner asked. Uh, I want to know what love is, foreigner asked that. And, and, and the world keeps on talking about love, asking about love, seeking love, uh, and, and, and yet love seems to be elusive. It, it, it seems to to miss people. People seem to not grasp it. And so as we continue in our series this month uh, of the big give, we're talking about different aspects of, of this incredible gift that, that God has given us in Christ. And last Sunday, we talked about the gift of peace, how, how he is the Prince of Peace. And today we're going to talk about the gift of love. That's another aspect of this incredible gift that God has given us. And I'd like to call your attention to Matthew chapter one, uh, beginning with verse 18 uh, and then continuing on to verse 25. If you want to have your Bibles there um, or follow the screen, uh, the scripture says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Uh, earlier this year, my wife and I had the uh, privilege of being in Barcelona, Spain, and, and we visited this um, uh, architectural marvel called uh, the Church of the Sagrada Familia. It's Gaudí's, one of um, his masterpieces. And, and just this church towers above everything in Barcelona. Uh, you can see the size of the people at the bottom of this picture. So you can get an idea of how giant these towers are. And and this, this gaudy church uh, uh, with its colorful and different styles and, and different uh, architectural designs tells a lot of stories. There's one side of the church that tells the story of the crucifixion in all of its stages. And then on the exterior, at the opposite end, there's a side that tells the story of the birth of Christ, the nativity. And it includes the annunciation of the angel Gabriel and Mary and Joseph and the shepherds, the magi, everything around the birth of Jesus. And right at the center of it all up where you can just not miss it in the middle is this family into which Jesus was born. Joseph, Mary, and baby Jesus, Sagrada Familia, the, the holy family. That's where the church gets its name. And I think it's pretty remarkable that, that when God decided to send his gift of love to us, he wrapped it 
in a family. He, he, he sent it to us in a very tangible way, in a way that, that we could feel it and touch it and experience it because we're familiar with what family is. So this story that we just read illustrates God's love in, in that kind of a vivid manner. Let me talk to you about it and, and mention a couple of things about it. The first thing I, I want to point out is that real love is unselfish. Mary and Joseph were pledged to be married. This was more than a, a modern day engagement. I know that today engagements have become a big thing uh, uh, it, with the newer generations. I mean, it, they just keep on, on getting fancier and their destination engagements and uh, there's photographers and videographers that get hired and the family gets, there's a theme and all these kinds of family hide somewhere while this is going on and then they surprise the one that's going to be engaged. There are big productions nowadays. Uh, and, you know, after such a big engagement, it's, it's kind of awkward to break it up. Uh, although it could happen, it's not a legal contract engagement in our culture and, and time is, is not a legal contract, but you know, it would be a little awkward. But in the first century world where Mary and Joseph lived, uh, to, to be pledged to be married was actually a legal contract. It was, it was a binding commitment. Usually uh, the bride and the groom would not come together when they were pledged, even though that was a legal uh, commitment. Uh, but they would come together after uh, the wedding feast. Uh, we, we don't really have anything like that uh, because actually if they were going to break their pledge, a divorce was necessary. That's how serious it was. But the custom did not allow them to be together uh, until the wedding feast. I, I'm familiar with the customs of our friends south of the border uh, in Mexico where, where uh, church and state are completely separate and and so couples have to be married by the state. It's a civil wedding and they have to be married by the church or they choose to be married by the church. And often this happens the same day uh, in the morning, they'll have a judge marry them. And then in the evening, they'll have their church wedding or maybe they'll have the, the civil wedding a week before, but nobody expects the couple to move in together until the church wedding and the big feast. And, and so this was the case with Mary and Joseph. And, and Mary as she was pledged to Joseph, she must have been thinking about having a husband, a provider for her future, the anticipation of starting a new family and a new life. But now there had been an interruption in her life. An angel had communicated to her that she would conceive and have a child who would be Jesus. Now, uh, this news if they had come to you and me, if we had been in Mary's place, we, we might have asked other questions. Well, how's Joseph going to take this? How is this going to change my wedding day? If I'm going to get pregnant before the wedding feast. And, and yet, in spite of the questions that you and I might have had, Mary's answer to the angel was, I'm your servant. Do... Do as you have announced. Let, let your words be fulfilled. I um, was a, a officiating a funeral yesterday of, of a lady that um, was a great mom and great wife and a great servant of the Lord. And, and um, when one of the daughters was giving testimony, was sharing memories about her, she said, I remember when mom would go to, on mission trips to the Dominican Republic and she would get ready months in advance. She goes, she would begin to, 
to look for the specials in the stores to buy clothes and hygiene products that she could then give to the people in the ER. And she would ask us, she said, as children to, to pitch in so that she could buy more stuff and take over there. It's just, so she would go to the Dominican Republic with suitcases that were packed full of things that she had bought so that she could give them. And she said, and then when she would come back, her suitcases were almost empty because not only did she leave what she had bought for them, but sometimes she would leave her own stuff. And that's love. Love is unselfish. Love, love uh, gives of, of, of what maybe is comfortable for us. And I don't think that's the concept that many people have of love today. When people talk about love today, I don't think that's what they mean. Often love today is, is a self-centered thing. I, I love you because you do something for me. Uh, I, I get tickled when I watch the award shows where celebrities win an award and, and they talk about all the people they love and they, and they say, and to my fans, I love you. And I'm going, no, 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 you, you don't love your fans. You love the fact that your fans love you. You love the fact that they buy your records, that they watch your movies. Uh, that's what you love. It's, 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 it's a little self-centered love if we're just honest with ourselves. But Mary and Joseph demonstrated a different kind of love. Mary was unselfish. She sacrificed what might have been her personal preferences and her plans, her, her dreams, her, her hopes for a normal life, perhaps. The ultimate demonstration of unselfish love is Christ. He left his throne, his privilege, his status, his glory, his convenience, because he loved us enough to come down, to meet us here. That's unselfish love. That's the way that God loves you and me. Then secondly, I want to share with you that real love is unconditional. While Mary was at peace with her new assignment of being Jesus' mother, Joseph still had to reckon with it, didn't he? I think it's interesting that the angel didn't appear first to Joseph. I mean, if you look at the story right before this one, uh, when there, there's the announcement of John the Baptist's birth, uh, the angel speaks to Zechariah, the, the husband. But in this case, the angel doesn't appear to Joseph. He appears to Mary. And I find it really interesting that the very first announcement of the birth of the Messiah is received by a woman. And the very first people to hear the news of the resurrection at the end of the gospel is a woman. That the God has a place for each one of us in his redemptive plan. Now, back to Joseph. It's time for Joseph to, to catch up with the news. He finds out about Mary's pregnancy, but the Bible doesn't tell us how he found out. It just says that he knew. And I'm just wondering, how did he find out? Did Mary tell him? I, I could imagine that encounter. Joseph, guess what? You're never going to guess what happened. I'm pregnant. And, and it's just a heavenly thing. Or, or was there a rumor going around when people found out that Mary was pregnant and somehow the news got to Joseph? When Joseph finds out that Mary's pregnant, 
The only logical thing to think is that she's been with another man. He must have been heartbroken. His plans for marrying her and for spending a life with her and for building a home with her were, were crushed because of this news. And beyond the broken heart and, and the sense of betrayal, there's also the issue of reputation. In first century Middle Eastern culture, that's a big deal. It's a culture of honor. And so Mary's, Mary's pregnancy implied that either Joseph had been impatient and had been with her before the wedding feast, which was not honorable, or that someone had slept with her and, and had betrayed him and so took away his honor. Either way, it was an embarrassing thing for Joseph to face. Verse 19 tells us that on the one side, uh, Joseph is this faithful to the religious law, righteous person who, who, who has a good reputation and wants to keep that. He's doing things right. And on the other side, he doesn't want to expose Mary to public disgrace. His ethical standard and his reputation require him to call her out and have her treated as an adulteress. And yet his love for Mary calls for protecting her, keeping her from disgrace. And as Joseph is wrestling with this, I cannot imagine what he must be thinking and going through. And he says, what am I going to do? He decides that, that the only possible thing that comes to mind is that he can divorce her quietly. That, that he can somehow save his honor and, 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 and forgive her for her whatever she did and yet not disgrace her, not embarrass her, not, not, not expose her. And, and that's the kind of love that Joseph had for her. It was an unconditional kind of love. He was conflicted because he loved her. Any other man would have been quick to expose her. Any other man might've been driven by their anger because they were betrayed and they were dishonored. Any other man would have asked that justice would be carried out and in, in, in the worst case scenario, it could have been the death sentence. In the best case scenario, it, it, it would just mean that she would never marry again, that, that she would be tagged, labeled. But Joseph did not act rashly. Joseph wrestled with this. I, and I think that's, that's part of being righteous is you don't act rashly. You, you think about things. You, you're still before God before you make a decision. And in his reflection, in his stillness, then the angel appears to him in a dream and tells him that Mary's pregnancy is the act, the supernatural act of God, that it is not betrayal, that it is not an immoral act. And I am puzzled by the timing. I mean, it's, it's nice that the angel told Mary before the fact. I'm just wondering why the angel doesn't go to Joseph before the fact and warns him this is going to happen. Why does he let Joseph struggle with it and wonder what he's going to do? We, we don't know. But what we do know is that Joseph loved Mary unconditionally. That once the angel appeared to him in a dream, he did not hesitate to take her as his wife. 
He, he was eager and ready to do so. He, he just needed that confirmation from the Lord that everything was okay. And it is a reminder to us that God loves us in that way, that God loves us unconditionally. Jesus didn't come to earth because we were righteous. God didn't love us because we did all the right things. God loved us in spite of our sin, in spite of the things that we've done. On the one hand, God's righteousness cannot approve of our sin. A holy God cannot have fellowship with with sinful humanity. But on the other hand, God does not want us to suffer the judgment that our sin deserves. In God's heart, there's this justice and righteousness and there's this love for us and, and love wins. Unlike Mary, we were unfaithful. Unlike Mary, we did sin against God. We did betray his trust and, and yet God decided to come to us. That's the message of Christmas. There's a song that, that we sing called What a Beautiful Name. And there's a verse that says, you didn't want heaven without us. So Jesus, you brought heaven down. My sin was great. Your love was greater. What could separate us now? Now there's been some critics about that verse because they say that uh, it seems that, it seems to imply that God needed us in heaven. Um, that somehow heaven is about mankind rather than about God. But but I, I don't believe that's what is meant here. I, I, I'm, heaven is sufficient with God and God alone, but God loves us that he wants us to share heaven with him. And because we couldn't get to heaven on our own, he came down to us. He brought heaven to us. He brought Jesus to us. Here's the thing. You are loved. You are loved regardless, regardless of what you've done, regardless of your background, regardless of how you've messed up, regardless of what you struggle with, God loves you unconditionally. That's the message of Christmas. I remember growing up in a Christian home and knowing that my parents loved me, hearing that God loved me. I, I heard it in my head, but, but when I became a teenager, I, I remember that I struggled with that. I, I struggled with, with wanting to be accepted. And so uh, I wanted my friends to, to accept me. I, I wanted people at school to think I was cool. And it led me to, to, to try and do certain things, sometimes hang out with the wrong crowd and, and dress a certain way and behave a certain way. And, 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 and I was disappointed in my parents. I was disappointed in God and I was disappointed in myself. And the harder I tried for people to accept me and, and, and to think that, that I fit in, the more disillusioned I became. And I remember having conversations with God and, and just being heartbroken. And I remember coming to the point in my life where, where God reminded me, I love you just the way you are. You don't have to do anything to impress me. You don't have to change anything about yourself. I made you the way you are and I love you. And in and, and that moment, that was, that was life-changing for me to, to just rest in the fact that God loved me the way I was and I didn't have to do anything to earn it. And that if he loves me that way, then 
I should not be so concerned about what others think about me. Because if the, if the God of the universe loves me and accepts me then, then I'm okay. And the third thing that I want to share with you today is that real love is unrelenting. The birth of Jesus is about God's love. Christ is, love is unselfish. The birth of Jesus is about God's unconditional love. Christ loved us unconditionally. He came to us in the midst of our sin. But the birth of Jesus is also about God's unrelenting love. Mary and Joseph, in spite of the big interruption to their life plans, they followed through. We started a family. They, they did what they were called to do. There was no precedent to Mary and Joseph experience. Mary couldn't join a support group of virgin moms. Joseph couldn't look up on Google, how, how do you be a husband to a, a virgin mom, to someone who's pregnant from the Holy Spirit? There was no manual, there was nobody you could ask, hey, how did you do that? Hey, do you, do you have any, any tips? Without precedent, without a manual, without a reference point, Mary and Joseph stayed the course and they did what they were supposed to do. Did you see how the, how the story ends? Verse 25, it says, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he, Joseph, gave him the name Jesus. They, they, they followed through. They, they did what they were called to do and I believe it was love that led them, that guided them. Love not as a feeling, love not as an emotion, but love as a commitment, love as a decision to, to do what's right, to do what's worthy. And that's the kind of love that God offers us in Christ. It is unrelenting love. There are two statements in our text that display this. The first one is found in verse 21, where the angel says that Jesus is his name because he will save his people from their sins. See, unconditional love accepts you just the way you are, but unrelenting love does not leave you there. God loves you so much that he accepts you and me just the way we are, but God loves us too much to leave us there. His love takes us to the next level. There's a popular phrase today that, that gets thrown around and it goes something like this, love is love. And you ask, well, what does that mean? Well, people say, well, lo love means that if you really love, if, if there's really love in your heart, that, that means that you will love people regardless, regardless of their background, regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of their religion, regardless of their identity, regardless of their marital status, regardless of their sexual orientation. Love is love. And I would say, I agree, that's true. Love is love. Love should be unconditional. Love should not be based on the person's behavior or choices or background or any other thing. But I also think that, that love is also unrelenting. That means that Love doesn't give up on us, doesn't leave us where we are. God's love is transforming. The fact that God loves us just the way we are does not mean that we don't need saving from our sins. God loves us so that he can save us. And in his love, he does. 
If God were to accept us the way we are and then leave us there, that wouldn't be real love. That would be tolerance. People talk about tolerance today. They talk about religious people being intolerant and and people needed to be more tolerant. And you you know what tolerance is? Tolerance is putting up with something you don't really like. Aren't you glad the Bible doesn't say, for God so tolerated the world? God doesn't tolerate us. God loves us. Love is transforming. It meets us where we are and it takes us to higher places, to God's design and God's purposes for our lives. The second statement that displays this kind of unrelenting love is a quote from Isaiah in verse 23. It says, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God's love isn't a message from a distance. It's not a text message. It's not a social media post. It's not an occasional visit. God's love is his presence with us always. He stays with us. He he will see us through. I uh, was reading an Advent devotional a week ago and, and and it was quoting a children's story about two friends who were Little Seed and Little Fox. Little Seed and Little Fox met at a farmer's shed because the fox was trying to get away from the storm and they became really good friends that were inseparable. And, and one day the farmer came and, and he plucked the, the, the seed and took it and, and he put it in the ground and the seed became concerned and was scared and she called out to little fox to help her and little fox went out there and, and went right where the farmer had put the seed in the ground and, and laid there day and night just worried about seed. One day, there was this mysterious stirring in seed, in little seed. And she became something new, something unexpected. And she said, little fox, look and see. It's hard to believe what's become of me. From the messy, dark place, I grew and grew from a seed to a tree. Only the farmer knew. You know, we all need someone who will lay on the dirt with us, who, who will be with us in our messiness, in our darkness, and will wait for us to come forth, to grow, and to become something new and something great. Jesus is that person. He came down to the dirt to be with us and to rescue us, to lift us up, to transform us from a seed to a tree, only the farmer knew. And Jesus can do that because he was buried and he rose from the dead and he can do that for us. The gift of God is a love that is unrelenting, that is transforming and he comes in Jesus, wrapped in a loving family. The message of Christmas is that you are loved. Have you received that love? Have you experienced that love? Have you been transformed by that love? Last week, my daughter and son-in-law invited us over to their home to hang out with Daniel and have dinner and watch The Grinch. And I was a member of that story. Uh, The Grinch hates Christmas, the whole Christmas season. And when the author speculates about why it might be so, he says maybe his head is not screwed on right, maybe his shoes are too tight, Or maybe the real reason 
that he hates Christmas is because his heart is two sizes too small. And so the Grinch, as you know, decides that he's going to steal Christmas. He goes from house to house dressed as Santa Claus. And uh, he steals Christmas trees and gifts and decorations and uh, the feast. Um, and he puts them all in his sleigh, with his dog, lead sleigh. And, uh, and then he watches from a distance what's going to happen to Whoville. And he's surprised to find out that Whoville still celebrates with a joyful song. And... Uh, the story goes, then the Grinch thought of him something he hadn't before. What if Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store? What if Christmas perhaps means a little bit more? And I love the description of what happens to the Grinch. And what happened then? Well, in Whoville, they say that the Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day. And then the true meaning of Christmas came through and the Grinch found the strength of 10 Grinches plus two. Now that's a kind of transformation, isn't it? It's a reminder that at the end of the day, what we really need is a change of heart. What we really need is someone to love us in a way that our heart can grow with love so that we can love others. That's how transformation happens. It's a matter of the heart. I'm convinced that there's still a lot of Grinches out there. Some of them might be sitting here. I don't know. They need to have their heart grown by the love of God. The greatest gift of Christmas is God's love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, love never fails. That's true love. And that's how God loves you. Would you bow your head with me? Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for Mary and Joseph and the way they displayed your love. And I pray that today we may know how to respond to that. As you Keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I, I want to invite you to, to meditate on how it is that you need to respond to God's love. Maybe, maybe what you need to do is to, is to bring your brokenness, to bring your sin to him. To bring your sense of rejection or struggle and know that he loves you perfectly and unconditionally. Maybe what you need to do today is just open your heart to receive that love and to dwell in that love and to live in that love. That love comes in Christ and Christ wants to come into your life by faith whether for the first time so that you can become a child of God or, or for the hundredth time so that you can remember that you are to live by love. Not trying to earn your place with God, not trying to impress God, not trying to impress others, not chasing after 
after something that is meaningless, but, but chasing after God because he already loves you.